0: I feel like Britney Spears with this mic. I don't love this mic. Alright. Per uh, Rick's request, I'm gonna to try to wrap this up in like five, six hours. But if I don't I'm scribble ahead of dinner order in the bulletin, somebody be around to pick him up. Anybody here like roller coasters? Adrenaline junk you're an adrenaline junkie? You pointed out Squire? I hate roller coasters and I hate big rides because I grew up in a family of non-rollercoaster riders. We didn't go to many theme parks, we lived all the way to New Hampshire, so we only had like mild kind of theme parks, but since I've moved here, I gotta get through a lot of fears because everybody's pulling my leg to go to a theme park, go skydiving, go on a $20 helicopter ride, <laughs> or for some reason go on a cruise. I don't know what it is about this state, but oh, like every single person I've come across is like, go on cruise. You just eat the whole time. There's a pool on the boat, and you're around water. The Titanic sunk 107 years ago, but I'm still not gonna go out into that much open sea. I saw what they did to my man Leo. They left him out there without a door. He died. Um, When I was around like 17... 18 around those kind of times, I started to have a really big issue with anxiety that I didn't understand. I started getting just these panic attacks and things. All logic shut down. Go through these episodes, I'd cease to exist here, block everybody out. And I was stuck, stuck on my own zone. And I worked through a lot of that. Church here was really helpful. But once in a while, I'll be blindsided by one of it, like a mild episode. So I went to Universal Park not too long ago. Again, somebody's dragging me to a park. Cassidy works there for Volcano Bay, so she gets in for free. She was nice enough to get me an annual pass, because that's what I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> an annual pass to the place that I don't really want to go all the time. But, uh, we go to the Harry Potter portion of the park, which, if you've never been to before, it's absolutely crazy. Everything's like accurate to the movies, all the shops, everything's... There, there's a gigantic dragon, and he breathes fire every once in a while, so it's absolutely crowded, just elbow-to-elbow. Elbow. And you to a store, you gotta just squeeze by someone, everyone's eating food, it's a great time, and it's terrible. <laughs> absolutely terrible, and I hate it, because I like space when I'm eating, I like fresh air, I like to go through it, I like to experience it, and it's hard to when you're getting ran over. People got no chill at the parks. So we head over to this one portion of the park, and it's with the giant uh, dragon on top. It's like, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's like an underground vault thing. It's like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You got to ride on this cart, and you go into the cabins, you know, underground. So obviously, great, wrong, fantastic. Here's a breakdown of me going on a ride. First things first, I will prepare for the ride days in advance. I found out that on YouTube, there's these guys that, you know, technology is improving. They got these high definition cameras, they wear them on the chest, anything. So they go and they film the rides ahead of time. So it's pretty much virtually like you're there, like they're really crisp HD, but this ride didn't work because it's really dark in there and they are 3D screens. So it looks weird. So I took a judgment call on it and I said, I got a man up, it'll be all right. I can't see it completely, but I'll do it. I've done this on lots of rides. That aren't that scary so I'll get to the ride queue and I've already got butterflies because at this point I'm just like oh god and I'll give you grunts one word answers you're like you good yeah yeah I'm good you know because I'm just going through something in my head you know because the thing is if I went straight up to the ride, I'd be great if there was no line, but there's a line. There's like a 30, 40 minute wait something. I've seen that ride get up to like a three hour wait. So I'm going through all kinds of crazy things, thinking about drops. Does it have a loop? Is there a malfunction? You know, I looked at YouTube the other night and I saw that a kid flew off, but it was a <laughs> fake article, so I couldn't trust it. But I said, nah, YouTube's not gonna, not gonna lie to me. And my favorite part at this point is that everybody at that point will try to convince you that the ride isn't that bad. Like, look at that guy, he's like 80. And then they go, look at him, he's like this tall, he, you know, kids are riding this. And I was like, he doesn't know what's about to happen. And the kid's like "Hey, he doesn't care. He's hopped up on Mountain Dew, he doesn't know what's about to go down. So at this point, all communication is off. The ride's in view. I'm thinking, are those bolts on the floor? Like, why is it so dark in here? Like a Hollister store i don 't know why, and you know i don 't think its why do I trust the people on the internet, you know my stomach's falling, but my rule is once i 'm in the seat and i 'm buckled in i can can 't get off i can 't chicken out at that because like, everybody 's going to see me i 'm going to make a scene, i 'm gonna be like a lady screaming and we 're all gonna die on the airplane so i 'm like all right i 'm in the seat, and i 'm okay because it 's a big cart we 're good, we start going, and then the ride starts, and the villains come up and something happens, and I'm like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, it's 3D. And, sorry, right. I'm like, it's cool. And then the cart, something happens with the villain, and the cart goes from here to here, to the dark. 75 degree angle. I got C's in math, sometimes D's, but I knew what a 75 degree angle was. Right there. I was a mathematician with a PhD. And the villains start laughing, and they hit you with something, and you just drop, 75 so degree angle into the dark. And I don't—that was the worst of it. The rest of the ride was really fun. But I was in a blur of rage after that because Cassidy had ridden that ride before. She knew what was going to happen, and she didn't tell me anything. Oh, I'm so mad. Um, point is, I'm in a panic. I cut off everything else. Nothing around me. You could say, "Dylan, here's thousand dollars," and I wouldn't hear you. I'd just be like, "Huh?" You know. So. I ask myself after something like that happened, you know, where's the room for God and all of that? You know, there's no space in his, in my head for his voice to just, you know, seep through. I'm shutting everything else off and I don't ever think to let him into that situation. You know, I don't ever think, you know, let him calm my nerves, set my fears aside, light up all that darkness. You know, I forget the fact that there's a whole book full of everything he's ever going to tell me about. To deal with a situation like that. It doesn't specifically say. Universal Orlando Florida. Part 1 chapter 1. But he's got a lot to say. That you know could have helped me in that situation. And you know. It went right over my head. The point being. We serve a living God. We're not serving statues. Or we're not serving idols. We serve a God who's constantly at work. looking out. And he's reminding us that whatever we're going through. It's not bigger than him. That ride's not bigger than him, my fears aren't bigger than him. You know, but we're we're not listening. I wasn't listening in that moment. I can open the Bible, I can read it every night, and I can't let it soak into me sometimes. We could tune into that live stream and let the message go in one ear and out the other. We could seek out a life group, we could pray with others, we could do everything, and we can live the rest of that week in chaos and confusion because we don't let it sink in. Where's the where's the reaction? When does listening transform us from reading that message to living that message? When do I read the words of Christ and then walk the path that Christ walked? You know, Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. And I'm just like, do I get some lumber from Home Depot? Is that what you mean? Like, I don't know where I can pick up one of those. Are they freshly made, you know? Um, I want to look at a specific story that I think highlights, you know, a lot about God's words and instruction and someone who actively listened to what he had to say. And that story is Moses. Probably heard of him, maybe once or twice. Uh, Moses, born in Hebrew, put in the Nile as a little baby, escaping death, and he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter as his own, given extravagant wealth, luxury, riches, jewels, I don't know, whatever was luxury back then. Not a PS4. (laughs) After killing an Egyptian in a confrontation, he sees his people suffering. He flees to Midian, where he marries, which is a natural thing to do when you kill someone. (laughs) Dip out and marry. one day, he's tending to his flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, which I think is a great name. And he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. When an angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking to him in a burning bush. The bush is on fire, produces no ash. And Moses is like, ah, I got to see this. Strolls on over to it, and God speaks to him from here. Gives him instructions that begin this huge exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. To which Moses is like, mm, nah bro, you got the wrong guy. I got a speech impediment, I'm not a good public speaker, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pass on this one. But God in his infinite wisdom reaffirms them. He made him, he made his tongue. What's he got to worry about? And Moses listens. And listening just doesn't imply hearing what he had to say. But hearing what God had to say and carrying out that message and instruction, Moses let that message produce a reaction in him that led to physical obedience. God wanted Charlton Heston to go to Yul Brynner and say, let my people go. Ben-Hur, Ten Commandments, solid movies. Long movies, solid movies. Uh, God instructs Moses and his people, it's time. We're here to fulfill promises. We're going to bring you out from slavery, servitude. We're going to bring him to the land of milk and honey because that's riches, milk and honey. Moses had his bro, his bro Aaron, of course, to help him be his speaking man. And I'm sure you know the rest. Plagues come one by one until the Passover. Pharaoh finally submits in a way. He goes back on it later. He's not a cool dude. Moses following God, step for step with Aaron, every instruction back and forth, every plague, every refusal back and forth until the Israelites flow out of there. But it doesn't stop there. God wants him to go a step further. He wants to lead his people to this promised land. Together, they got to take these really rude, roughneck people across the desert and the worst road trip this side of the Oregon Trail. And many of them say, no, we'd rather turn back. We don't want to die by the hands of armies. We'd rather risk being a, you know, a slave. We don't want to be hungry. We don't want to die of thirst. They're looking at Moses. He's looking at Aaron. They're looking at God. Everybody's like a 3 company situation. They don't know what's going on. They're forming a relationship. That's what talking develops into, isn't it? A relationship. I start a new job. I got to learn the ins and outs. I got to talk to the crew members to learn that job. What happens after we get going? We become acquaintances. Maybe we become friends after that. Who knows? I don't do it. I don't like people. <laughs> 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 but wait a minute, you know. God talked to Moses in a burning bush. It's not often I'm traveling down Colonial and Samurai and I see a bush on fire. And I think, hey, let me talk to it. You know, it's not often that I'm going down the I-4 and I see a pillar of fire lighting my way to work. I'd sure get there a lot faster. God takes steps further. He meets with Moses on the mountain, where they met, of course. Gives him the Ten Commandments he wants his people to live by. He gives him, like, 14 more pages of instructions, and it's hard to read through, but the temple, the Ark, the Covenant, everything. scribing all of it down. Sowing in a relationship. With his chosen people. What's his people doing? Moses is up on the mountain. His people are freaking out. They're bullying Aaron, Aaron, is telling him to make him a golden calf. He's telling him, Give me your jewelry. What are they doing with jewelry in the desert for? You know, what a quick turnaround. Did they not hear what God had to say? Did Moses not say it? Did Aaron not relay those messages? Did they miss out on all the plagues? It was one of everything. Nile turned to blood. It was fire, hail, frogs, locusts. Death of the firstborn. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. You know, were, were they blind? Someone wasn't listening. A lot of them weren't listening. And they weren't paying attention. Their hearts were hard. They weren't letting it sink in. And it comes with consequences the same way when we don't listen, it comes with consequences. We're reading this history. And we're talking about it every Sunday. We've got to absorb it. We've got to learn it. Chip says it almost every Sunday. It's his traditional send-off. You know, God has spoken and he's still speaking. It's not enough to hear those words, but we gotta let it transform us. You know, a father would come to a son before leaving to work and say, son, I want you to go outside and rake the leaves in the yard today. Get a big rake, put them in little piles, put them in the can, put the can out to the curb, city of Orlando takes care of the rest of it. Boy says, yeah, sure. Doesn't know what he's getting into. Later that afternoon, father gets home from work, no can on the curb, Strolls across the yard, leaves everywhere. This is probably a true story, honestly. (laughs) Father gets burning with anger. He goes inside, scolds him, he's like, Why didn't you pick up those leaves? What were you doing all day? And the boy says, It was too hot outside. It's too much work for me. I was thirsty. Came inside to rest. Then he just stayed inside. God tells Moses, Leave me alone. He's seething with anger. He's seen these people. Stiff-necked, hard-hearted. I'm just going to flick them off the map. That's about it. But Moses, he pleads with them. Why destroy these people? Just did all this work. And just liberated them. He employs the Lord to remember the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, Israel. All these promises. All these things. Forgive these people. Look at the, look at the relationship they built. Look at the communication that they built between this. Moses is bending God's own ear. Not only is God giving him messages, he's talking to God, too, and saying, Hey, work with us here. This is another way. You know, you could smite all of us. It would be easy. But even God's listening to what Moses had to say in that moment, you know? What a loving God that could be, that we could go both ways like that. We could have a chat. A couple of years back now, we were in the midst of a uh, college group. We used to run every single Wednesday. Every Wednesday, seven thirty. Be there, be square. And uh, every once in a while, Rich and Stacy let me take a stab at doing a lesson. Good way to precursor for all of this and whatnot. And I'm always watching movies, always into different things. And I just ran across a movie called Silence, and it was a new picture by Martin Scorsese, who's done things like you know Raging Bull and Goodfellas and other things like that. And he had finally made this movie after about like twenty years or so. He was chasing it, doing funding for it, legal battles, doing other films before it, but he finally got it. And it was based off this Japanese book by an author named uh, Shusaku Endu. Thank you, notes. And funny enough, he actually filmed this movie right after Wolf of Wall Street, which is about the farthest from a Christian film as you can get. So I guess he was trying to cleanse out or something, but the movie's almost like three hours long. So I thought... Yeah, let me show this to the college kids. They got an extreme amount of patience to watch this, like, three-hour movie. It's going to be great. But I had to, because I watched the movie, and I was like, holy cow. And then I read the book, and I was like, wow, I got to see what other people think of it, because it's such a weird thing. It's almost a controversial thing, and it has an ending that I was like, I got to know what they think. Story centers on two Jesuit priests in the 1600s, like mid-1600s. They received word that their mentor of sorts and a lot of other priests that were sent on mission trips to Japan had apostatized. They turned away from their faith. They gave it up. They kind of settled into Japanese culture. And they hear this and they think, we got to go, you know, we got to help out the people there. We got to figure out what happened to our mentor. And these men go through all sorts of hardship. There was a huge persecution against Christians. Many of the priests there were killed. Anybody calling himself a Christian was killed and tortured in just horrendous ways. The Japanese wanted to repel any of these. They wanted to shun any foreign god. They They were not calm about it. They would take these guys and they would put them on these posts. Kind of just almost like a crucifixion thing. But they would just tie them up. And there would be these natural hot springs and they would fill these ladles, and these ladles had holes drilled into them, and they would just drip boiling water onto their skin, trying to get these guys to just break down, and a lot of them didn't. They went right to the end and died for what they believed in. But the, uh, the main characters, they both go through a lot, and, and the point of what the Japanese were doing was they would have this carved image of Christ, like a little picture, they called it a fumi, and they put it on the ground, and they wanted the priest to trample on it. If you stepped on it, to them, it was you know an extreme act of being rude, of denouncing your god, and stepping away from it, that you would trample on it, which seems kind of weird, but to spoil it, near the end of the movie, they put this priest in that situation. They take all the people that he was, you know, that he was teaching, all these poor farmers in Japan, and they'd hung him upside down. And they would slowly cut them to bleed them, and they would leave them like that for hours. And their you know, request to him is that, step on this image of Christ, give up all your faith, and we'll let all these people go. And he's tormented by it, he's tormented, he's sweating with it. And it's at this point that it crescendos, and he hears God speak to him. And, and God says something along the line of, go ahead, you know, trample on me. You know, This is what I came for, I came... To suffer with you guys and it was at that point that everybody freaked out it was like the stockroom floor and Wall Street everybody was like it's a demon talking to him and Rich was losing it and I thought it was great because it's great when (laughs) not that I want it crazy but it's great when everybody can get together and discuss and talk about these things and, and, and and get it going you know it's essential that we're doing that that we're reading and digesting these things and I don't think we ever came to a solid conclusion about what it was or what was going on, but you know what glued me down was the title of a book. A title of the book should be something that jumps out to you, like the first couple sentences of a book. It's, you know, it's what's gonna hook you in. I'm gonna go around, I'm gonna see that on the shelf, and silence is gonna be the first thing I hear. So I thought, what does that have to do with the rest of it then? It was what the main character was afraid of through all of it. That he was praying, that he was going through this torment, that everybody else was going through it, and all that he could hear was absolutely nothing. He saw people beheaded, he saw women and children doing this and that, he saw boiling water poured onto them, you know, and, and all he could hear was nothing until a, a final moment, and is what we could hear too. You know, we're praying to God for you know safety of children, health of loved ones, reconciliation, anything, and you know, we're afraid that that we're all, we're just going to hear back silence, that we're not going to get any, you know, any movements, anything, any voices, anything like that, you know, I know I am too, but there's nothing wrong with silence in that film that he heard, and there's nothing wrong with silence that we're hearing now, you know, it's, it's a healthy sort of thing, you know, it has its purpose, you know, after all, these, these men, and hopefully us, they're reading, they're studying, they're praying. They're equipping themselves. So even if they are hearing silence, they're knowing that it's useful, that it's purposeful, that it's not just them hearing nothing and they throw it away. They've been doing this for a reason. You know, they are reading the gospel, they're sharing it like we are. It's what we're commanded to do. We're not just left with nothing. If we hear silence, we don't just have nothing. You know, and it's it's a bit like me getting lost in my own head at the theme park. There's a lot of noise nowadays. There's cell phones, there's traffic, there's the you know 24-7 construction that we seem to have here in Orlando. We're famous for it, you know, and everything's building up into a white noise and it's really loud and we can't hear anything. You know, and we we take that for granted that everything is so loud and we, we you know now have to pay extra for things like silence. We gotta pay extra for things like a view for places that we could have you know, a little bit of serenity. We're forgetting what it's like to have that, to be able to take a quiet moment so that we could listen and maybe hear something that we missed. I'm a firm, firm believer in the fact that God is right in front of us, right in front of us, like a 100% of the time, that he's knitted his story, his messages, his people, and just everything. And... We got to open our eyes in our ears to to perceive it. We got to be deeper in prayer to to see what's right in front of us. It sounds silly, but it's real. You know, God loves us deeper than we can imagine, and He's crying out, but we're distracted. We're not hearing it. Um, when I was a boy, we we didn't go to church. I feel like they had more churches here, but. Um, You know, we didn't do any of that. We didn't have any religious items in the house. We might've had like a a fridge magnet, I remember, but it was other people's houses that I went to that I saw different things that, you know, people would have like a really old dusty King James Bible or they'd have a big cross or portraits or uh, like a sculpture or something of the last supper. And my friend John had one, he lived next door. And for some reason I would stare at that portrait every time I was there. And I wouldn't even curse around it or do anything dumb. Like, if I had something, I would just go around it or say something. We were dumb kids. I don't know. It was like, Jesus' eyes were staring at me. Like an old Scooby-Doo episode of the portrait. And I couldn't do anything different around it. That's how it would be. You know, I saw it and the thing altered my behavior. You know, and no one told me about it. No one told me to do that. No one said anything. I just, I don't know. I felt that. I said, oof. That thing's got weight to it. That book, that picture, that cross, it's got a gravity to it that I don't understand. But for some reason, it's important. Nothing else matches it. And the more I move towards it, the more I could see it in normal everyday life. I would see it and it would alter my behavior. Nowadays, I don't, I don't need things like that. I don't need things to hold or artifacts because I know that God is all around me. His presence is everywhere. It's in the kindness of everybody here. It's in the kindness of strangers you could pass on the streets. I would see it in films. I would see it in books. I would see it at school, in a restaurant, anywhere. I I you know. I didn't see these artifacts anymore. I saw God woven into everything that I was learning and everything that I was doing. You know, and it's, it's up to us as Christians to carry that out to be the body of Christ and listen to the message that he has then let it transform us so that we can walk it out step one step two whole step we got to do the whole thing you know cuz god has spoken and god is speaking and i think sometimes people get that confused because they think that oh there was a guy you know on the news and he did all these crazy things and he said the voices and, and god told him to do it and they're absolutely atrocious and it, it kind of excuse things, but we have an entire book. We have many books. We have a lot of history that already is there. There's instructions there. There's thousands of years of history that's already there. If we're worried about silence now, it's ridiculous because we have an entire thing of commands that we've already gotten, solid things that are proven and tested and done. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried. God is working through us, he's working through all his faithful messengers, he's spreading his teaching, and we all, we got to be ready to hear it, and furthermore, once we hear it, we got to receive it in our hearts, and we receive it in our hearts, we're going to carry it on. Why don't, why don't they right really bow their heads and we'll pray, okay? Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to go deeper in your word. We want to sow that relationship with you. We want to build that. We want to be able to communicate with you. We want to be able to have you talk to us and talk back as if it was something natural, easy for us to do. Show show us what it means, Lord, to have that companionship to you. To have that level of intimacy with you is what we are striving for. Forgive us for everything we have shortcomings with that and just look after us, Lord. We pray for strength in the upcoming year for Life Church, that we can keep diving in and getting closer and closer to you. We pray for a renewing of faith here at Life Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 One more thing before we leave. There may or may not be a big game on today that Rick and I have a specific vested interest in. And that game is the Puppy Bowl. It's on at 3 p.m. Eastern on Animal Planet, 12 California time. They got 93 puppies from 53 different shelters. Cats at a halftime show with lasers. So let's all tune into that tonight. It's at three. Thank you very much. Everybody enjoy the Super Bowl Sunday, right?